0: Y'all ready to be history? it started. Welcome. Hi. 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 Hello,
1: everyone. Audio Suite. These guys are professional, they're motivated. Thanks to Tri Booth, the best vocal booth for home or on the road voice recording, and Austrian Audio, making passion heard. Introducing Robert Marshall from Source Elements and Someone Audio Post, Chicago. Darren Robert Robertson from Voodoo Radio Imaging, Sydney. Tech to the VO stars. George the Tech Whittam from LA. And me, Andrew Peters, voiceover talent and home studio guy. Line up, ladies!
2: Here we go.
1: And welcome to another Pro Audio Suite, thanks to Tribooth, don't forget the code PAP200 to get $200 off, and Austrian Audio, making passion heard. Uh, this episode we have a couple of special guests coming in from New York City. Uh, we have Aaron Misch, and we have Daniel Baker, hopefully I've got your name right, Aaron. No, it's Meisht. Meisht. <laughs> okay, Aaron Meisht.
0: You want, to, do you want to pick it up? Yes. No, I'm just kidding.
2: Here we go. It, yeah. it's, it,
3: is, it is a name that is it constantly mispronounced, so it's
2: yeah. It's and it's good. it's a uh, bakër. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course, it is backer. Yeah, Denny D A E Bakër. It's the up. thing over the e, doesn't it? Yeah, the umlaut.
2: I haven't figured out how to make my keyboard do that. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. Oh, my. All right. No, we're good. All right. So we're off to a flying start. So uh, <laughs> we know who you are now, uh, but you do have a company called Broken Chord. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, basically, uh, sound design, music composition for Broadway and uh, surrounds. Can you give us a bit of background on Broken Chord? Sure. Uh, Did you start it off, Daniel?
2: Yeah, I started uh, Broken Cord um, when I left graduate school uh, and went out into the world. One of my mentors, Matthew Sutter, um, who's from down Y'all's Way in New Zealand, was teaching here and a a composer. We started doing shows together where um, he would uh, compose um, and I would take his compositions uh, and apply them to a play. And then you would be either, you know, work on a show that had a composer already that you may or may not know. And, you know, this, this sort of as a sound designer, instead of like pulling things from CDs as we as it was back then, you know, what you know, it would be great to have a person that you develop a relationship with, a composer that you always work with that can, you know, basically create content. And so that's how we came up with, with Broken Chord. Um, And then Matthew got busy writing operas and doing other things. And I was uh, introduced to Aaron on a project and we, we hit it off straight away and sort of Matthew uh, fell to the side and Aaron and I've been working in this way ever since.
1: So basically your role. So you you've got Philip who couldn't join us because he's uh, unwell at the moment. Um, So what's Philip's role and what's Aaron's role and what's your role? Philip
3: is our, what we consider our system guy, so that becomes most apparent when we do a show on Broadway or any kind of four-wall install, like it, where you're designing the the entire system soup to nuts. When we deal with a regional theater or an off-Broadway theater that has a system that we're just like adding pieces to or moving things around, we will use Philip to come and tune the system so that we know we, we're getting the most out of that house system then he doesn't really involve himself too much in the sound design or in the you know the the dramaturgy of what we're doing um, and Daniel is more of a traditional sound designer so he's he's working on a play doing some of the system stuff but also thinking about how does sound and music help the play itself you know so he's he's a what I think of as our dramaturgical
0: mind so Philip and, gets involved yeah. when things get... When things get heavy duty,
3: kind of, yeah. Because I mean, there
0: are shows,
3: there are regional theaters, for for example, that you know, if they have a good local sound team, we don't need to pull Philip in, you know, because it's just not worth it. They have the system is fine, and it will support what we need on the play. Does
4: does Philip run the show, or or who ends up?
3: I no, mean, none sure of us.
2: None of us do that. Um, every theater has its own A one. You know, it could go something like this: we get a script. You know, we'll take a read of the script and sort of start the conversation with uh, with the director and um, start coming up with conceptual ideas. And then that's a back and forth that Aaron and I can have. And at the same time, we're presented with a theater space with its equipment list and a particular set that has its own needs, and the play will have its own needs if it's a if it's a radio or you know, the practical aspects of it. And at the same time, I'm sort of having a dramaturgical content conversation with with Aaron. We'll be developing the system with Philip. And usually that entails me doing a first pass of putting boxes in a PDF. Like this is what I think would, would service us and then have a conversation with Philip. And he's like, that's great. What if we did this? And so we, we sort of do another pass at the system, hand that off to an in-house engineer and if we have the budget for it, we always like to bring Philip in to then tune that system.
0: What point of the genesis of the production are you guys brought in? You're, you're at the very beginning, right? Because I, I think of like music composition for film score and other things. Like Sometimes that stuff comes in very late.
3: You're right. It's a big difference in
0: theater as opposed to film. I
3: always say, I mean, we joke about this all the time, how, how much easier film is than theater because you're getting a locked picture. Yeah. We always you, have a moving
2: yeah. target. <laughs> and exactly. you know, it's like that, yeah. uh,
3: that actor is going to leave that scene. That door is going to close exactly the same time. Every time you watch this locked picture, but on, on, on stage, you know, those actors, everything is done every night. It's, it's a little different. So you're, you're composing music and you're saying, okay, well, we want it to feel like it's building to this certain point, And then we're going to have this coordinated with the lights and all that kind of stuff. But, You have to backward engineer stuff knowing that there's going to be, you know, an actor is going to walk at a different pace each night or something like as minuscule as that. But it actually, it makes you think about composing and and designing for sound in a totally different way than you would for film, you know, or television,
1: Yeah, but also like, uh, because I'm sort of comparing it with live sound, but the thing about live sound is this kind of static. You've got a band and then, you know, the drummer's not going to move around the stage. Right. (laughs) Uh, But when you're doing theatre, things are moving continually. And, you know, obviously if you're working in more than stereo, maybe you're doing five one or whatever, multi-channel, then you've got to think about where that act is going to be on the stage or where this is going to happen during the play. Mm Mm-hmm. So, do you work? Do you actually have a, a plan that you work left to right and front to back? Tell me. the well, it's front it's to question back, question left again. to right.
0: You mean like in a surround kind of situation? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Well, I mean, we
1: have we have hundreds,
0: like many, many speakers. Yeah, so. we
2: we don't really work in any kind of uh, codified format. format. You guys aren't
0: working in Atmos. Or really. like, you guys literally create your own format. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And and it's, it's a pain in the ass and it's also cool because you get to find, you know, it's every movie theater, there's specs, you know, there might be 10 different ways to do it, but it's a known thing. Every theater, you know, is different and they're often in old churches and just all all, all kinds of things. And and how many
4: times do they have something and it doesn't work anyways, or you can't rely on that part and, you know, you have to work around something. I mean, we
2: also, we, you know, we kind of like, I would say we, we, we lead with content. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. the content is, is the king. Um, but so every, every theater will, will do a unique system. Um, and that could be, we often have 16 channels, uh, 16, 32 channels. Uh, and then we're mixing uh, whatever music we, um, create in three dimensions. And that can be, you know, often when we get Philip to come in and tune a system of 50 speakers and he gets it just tight as a drum. It's like amazing. You can put any stereo file in there and it's going to sound awesome but most often even when he does tune a system within an inch of its life um, we like to stem everything out um, and so we might have a piece of music that is 15 files and it, it will mix that into 16 speakers you know what's your playout system i mean is it so like, like Q-Lab. Fi-
4: yeah 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 I, f- I figured it'd be them yeah q yep and and so and so that has a multi-track output like like you you hit up a music cue and it's hitting whatever desk it is like an analog desk or a digital desk mm-hmm. that's at the theater and then you get you can put your mix up that way
2: yes um, yeah cool and we, and and we I, oh go ahead there no no I was just
3: gonna say I mean ba- basically what it allows us to do that is that is fun is that as Daniel's explaining you know if I write a piece for five string instruments and five woodwinds or something we'll bounce all of those things separately. And then we have the ability to move it in the space. So if you want the flutes to come from, you know, Mm -hmm. you have depth, you have speakers behind the stage, you have speakers over the audience and everything. And what you can do is you can really orchestrate a piece, but, you do it in the space and that's the thing that's really different i think
4: and that's probably very useful for the sound design i mean the thunder overhead whatever you might have speaker of arrays course.
0: or yeah you don't do it on the day though like you 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 set up the system in the venue you know what the parameters are you program the mix mm-hmm. and on the day you play back the program oh yeah, or yeah. you really are it's a little bit of both QLab's is like a queuing system so someone's Something is
4: triggering QLab to trigger these events, and one event might be a music cue, and another event might be a sound effects cue, and those events might be happening at the same time. And then they need to get them out of QLab into a board that's installed at this theater, which gets it out to the speakers. Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, how many channels of amplification have you guys used, like I mean, in one show? You said
2: fifty, right? Sure. Yeah, depending depending on how granular you want it, how much control, uh, wh- you know, one channel per per speaker. But, you know, like I said, we could have 32 channels has not been unheard of. Um, so when it's 32 channels, I'm curious about that. Cause you know,
4: you, you're, you're outputting just here's all these tracks and, and do you try to get the tracks to be pre-mixed? So if you pull all the faders up to zero, you know, you got a really good starting point and then you can kind of spread them out throughout the theater. And maybe you got to change the volumes a little bit. I would, I would imagine it'd be easier just to have, Speaker outputs from Qlab lab go straight to the speakers and the amps. But I'm sure that's not how the theaters are wired. And then I can't imagine someone trying to mix the show on some old Mackie.
3: <laughs> when it comes to playback of the audio, we're setting mm-hmm. that. We're basically using the tech rehearsals to mix the show so it's a show that anybody
2: can just hit go. is that
4: mix so so that mix is not happening on the board that's installed at the theater that that's mix right is the, exactly. so imagine
2: the board is just being zeroed out it's just yeah you know, that's okay it's, cool. at, it's at whatever yeah, okay. minus 18 like whatever the spec just, is yeah faders to zero faders, and you get stuff
4: out to the speakers you want them to go to. Exactly. right and then you know yeah.
2: philip will balance all those speakers tune the system and um and then it's hours to Break, (laughs) but we're we're doing it just like you do a movie, except it is happening incrementally and in real time. But once but once we get through it, and we say this is you know it might take us ten or twelve hour days of fast forwarding and rewinding this movie with real people, but it's all eventually gets set. Do they give you like a
4: premix of, or like, like, Hey, we're going to have all the actors act this out with no sound effects. And then you can play the video back and start queuing your stuff up. Do they give you something to work against? Only a recent
2: (laughs) COVID thing. I've I've actually taken advantage of that only in the last two years. Usually what you do is you sort of, it's all in in the abstract. You're working in a land of ideas. Uh, Mm -hmm. You nail the sound world. You say, don't worry about the exact stuff, but let's develop the sound world. Once with the director, and once we know what our vocabulary, yeah, our vocabulary, and then we take our vocabulary into the theater, and do it in real time. You know, it's like scoring a movie in ten days, real time with live actors, and you have to set it up in this in this program. You know, you give all the cues to to a stage manager who will either use a visual cue, say, an actor. You know, I want this cue to happen when the door opens, or uh, on this line play this cue and that'll set off a series of events um, and and those series of events will continue as you've programmed them until you tell it to do the next thing so then at the end of the day you might have you know we'll have hundreds of lines of code
0: yeah it's so it's nice to hear that it's still totally a organically human driven thing it's not like it's not like you're working on a empty clock. and Everything. Oh, has oh to I'm sure, I'm sure there might be some clocks going on. Well, you have clocks going. But I mean, you're not. Yeah. Letting, it's like it's going to happen. The door's <clears throat> going to open in three, two, one. Well, that door might open in three, one, and then it open, and you and you just have to be there.
3: And you know what's a cool thing that I over the last 20 years of us doing this, one of the fun things to experience has been when you have a stage manager. You think of these people who are behind the scenes. You have a stage manager that has a good sense of music, of of tempo, of beat, or of pacing, they're actually interacting with the actors. They're a performer. And wow. we think of them like performers because we're putting all this in their hand. And it can it it does have an organic feel because if you have a stage manager that has no sense of rhythm or has no sense of timing, you know, you're done. You know, it's awful. It it can be terrible, but when you meet these great stage managers that just are like, yeah, I get it. I know exactly where you want that thing to happen. you just feel so, it's just such uh, an awesome thing that I didn't expect when I even started on all this. I don't know, Daniel, if you feel just about how some of these jobs are so, you don't even know what they're doing, but then actually they're controlling everything
2: wow you know your life is in their hands like (laughs) how often do you
4: do a play and then it's it's done by more than one troupe or however it goes i mean
2: they're mostly they're mostly one-offs but we've had some things uh like we did a show called ruined that toured around um we had our, our first show that went to broadway we did first at yale rep in new haven and then it moved to the public theater in new york and then it moved to Broadway. So we had like three goes at that, but we're mostly doing one-offs. You know, it's not unfortunately commercially driven sort of what comes into your local town, big hit off of Broadway. It's um,
0: Can you imagine touring what you're doing? Have you guys toured a show of this scale ever? It sounds like impossible. Well, it
3: doesn't really work like that with this kind of, because I mean, what Daniel's describing too, is the the kind of tour, like a roadhouse thing. That's a totally separate thing. You know, that's not the business that we're in, in a way. Right, right. Um, But when we do, if a play has a, it's a co-production with multiple regional theaters, let's say, or or like the last one we did, Tony Stone, which started at Roundabout in New York City. But then the cast changed, but the design team was all the same. The director was the same.
4: And, and oh, that right. carried your work throughout each each exactly. So for oh, right. that production.
3: Yeah. All of right. the music that I wrote, all the, the sound design, we just would move to the
4: different space. The, the space so who's hiring different. you? Is it the the playwrights or is it the theaters? It's directors, the theaters. Direc-
3: well, no, directors. Well, directors. I the, mean, the theaters are paying us, but, but like, the connection the
2: director. is the director.
4: Yeah. How, how how often do you get to work with the playwright as well, or does that not really come up? Well, it depends. I mean, Shakespeare, we don't often get to. Yeah, it's too bad. He, I mean, yeah, on. he's a bit dead. <laughs> I think just
1: a bit dead.
3: <laughs> uh, half, no, half the we, time, probably. Yeah, I would say half the time we, we do new plays. Third of the time. Yeah, it's probably fifty fifty plays that are in the canon and you know have been done multiple times, but we're just doing a new production of, versus plays that are you know a new play. That the direct that the the writer is just you know we're developing it with in its first production or something like that. So, and they both have merits. You know, they're both fun in different ways because you know when you're do seeing like a
4: sister there. company
3: that does lights. No, no, we we always joke about our favorite lighting designers. We tell them that we're going to make them part of Broken Court. Yeah, they, they, they,
2: folks don't usually you know lighting doesn't happen like this. We're the they're, we're yeah the they're only usually individuals like this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you guys feel like you're pretty unique or is it not that,
2: I don't know, how how many others are doing what you do in the the way that you do it? It is unique. Most people would hire an associate to do the system design or we'd like to do every aspect to its best. I think
3: I can add to what Daniel's saying. I think that
2: what we're doing that's different too is one of the things
3: that's great about me writing music and Daniel doing the sound design, for example. We have a rapport. So, what the yeah. what the director is getting as a product is something that the sound design and the composition is completely intertwined in a way, like a you know a, any kind of ensemble or something. Where Daniel and I, our brains, because we've been doing this so long together, you're getting a really integrated product as opposed to oh, we're going to hire this person to compose all this music and then you're going to do the sound design. That relationship every time anew. We don't think you're getting the best kind of result. You- I think it's fun to, to have our connection is what creates this entire sound product in a way.
4: Is, is there ever, um, you know, like an orchestra and the, and the music is played live and then do you have a director or a conductor to uh, sort of interact with kind of a new layer in there? Um, or is, that, is it pretty much all playback? Well with well, Daniel could talk about musicals. We do some musicals. I'm generally not
3: involved in the musical things because the kind of productions that I'm writing music for, they don't they, none of them have the money to do, even on Broadway. No, they don't have the money to have a live orchestra unless it's a musical, you know Gotcha. so and, and you know, the amount of music there, it's not even if you're underscoring an entire thing, it makes more sense to to have it be recorded in studio and then played back, you know. We um, but we do also do musicals, Daniel can talk more about that than
2: I can. You know, mainly we have, have done uh, music for plays, but we also do musicals, uh, and then and then Philip really comes to the forefront on that. Right. I mean, you're you're you're
4: writing for all kinds of different
2: arrangements, I assume. Like so, but but we won't write mu- the musicals that we do. We're not writing the musical the music for. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. it's just a okay. reinforcement. You know, mic- gotcha, putting gotcha. microphones on actors and micing up the orchestra and doing whatever sound effects there are.
0: Gotcha. It's kind of mind-blowing. I, I spent very little time in theaters in New York, unfortunately, and I, I did get to do a backstage of Matilda. Mm. And I was, I mean, obviously as an audio engineer, I was absolutely flabbergasted by what they do live every show. Like, I, I thought, well, there's no orchestra, obviously, like, it's like, because you can't see them. Like, why would they be live? Like, it's, but insane. they're hidden somewhere, right? And they're they're, they're, they're the in the friggin' basement. Yeah. No, they're yeah. in the yeah, basement, yeah. and they were like stages, mm. levels below the floor, like in this, in these two different rooms. So not optimal, as you can imagine. And like, the number of channels are used on stage, the wireless. I mean, it is an amazing technological achievement what they do on these shows, you know? So what's considered traditional or just expected that's going to be performed live versus what is expected to not be performed live. It's an interesting sort of line.
3: Well, Daniel, you can talk about that. We just did a musical in Cleveland. Yeah. Right. Wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) And then, I mean, they might get a kick out of the that idea of that. Why would you put the drummer in the back, not on the stage, and all that kind of shit? You know.
2: But yeah, I mean, it's pretty, like when you don't see the it's,
3: orchestra. It's, we had a great.
2: Yeah, it's, it's pretty obvious. You know, they all. That's it's very in vogue now to have the band on stage, which you know imposes a lot of issues when you're trying to get you know twelve, fifteen oh. actors running around with omni mics. Then you have a oh drummer God. just there, uh, and so every production, depending on the experience of the director you know it's it's also a sound physics class for the whole um for the whole team and for whatever reason <laughs> even when you're doing a musical which is all about music and sound uh you're, you're still sort of sound is the Somewhat last on the list as far as like it's yeah. crazy it makes no sense whatsoever <laughs> i thought that was or, only the case for a video <laughs> or seriously film. there's lots of i mean we all have our opinions of, of, of why we're a visual culture, blah sure. blah 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 blah. But uh, you know, they insisted in this last show that we did. They insisted on uh putting the drummer. They wanted the drummer on stage. It was like, fine. Well, then we need v drums. You know, we try to explain it to them. If the, the drummer is going to be the loudest thing on stage, it's going to get into the microphones of the actors, and so you're going to be, you know.
0: Well, can't you put a little foam ball around each microphone? Well, and yeah. will that soundproof oh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. the microphone? <laughs> no,
0: no,
1: you just <laughs> do the true.
4: Chaotica eyeball on each microphone. <laughs> Chaotica
0: yeah. eyeball,
1: yeah. I was uh, a friend of mine, a um, friend of mine's touring at the moment in the States with a band and they're um, uh, touring with PIL and Blondie and a bunch of other bands. But I was watching, he was doing a live stream last night from backstage as they were bumping in and bumping out. And... Uh, I saw, like, he, he couldn't believe it either, but Clem Burke, who plays drums and has done for Blondie since the get-go, must be incredibly loud because his kit was behind Perspex. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a that word. uncommon.
0: P- 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 plexiglass, plexiglass, as we would oh, call it yeah, in the States. Yeah.
2: That's one of the things yeah. you do, you know, when, you do, when they do insist on having them on stage, you do always have them behind Plexiglass. But, uh, we, and we had this on this one, but it was just... Anyway, the day before we had an audience, the night before we had an audience... They decided that, oh, maybe this is a, not a great idea. So we spent half the rehearsal Jesus. taking the kit oh, apart, all of the stuff, the, like everything that, that it takes. And oh, moving him yeah. to a back room where we suggested at the beginning he be. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we did this oh, kind of like Herculean feat. And then there, suddenly the actor's like, oh, my God, it sounds so much better, you know, because there's this big fight in theater now about whether you give foldback, whether you fold back actors. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Actors' own voices to the stage, which you know, best practices you don't, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, Please. Uh, oh, but they, man. you know, some folks do now and so they kept wanting That's they, like, they're, like, you give they're a, like, we can't hear a ourselves. A microphone to an opera singer. Yeah. yeah. They're like, we can't, yeah, we can't, no, you you don't. can't hear ourselves. <laughs> We're like, well, yeah, there's Couple things. There's a drum kit wailing away ten feet away from you, so <laughs> we got rid of that. And then, and they're like, "Well, just turn us up on the monitors." I'm like, "Yeah," but yeah. all your microphones are picking up drums. So if we put that back on stage, you're we're just putting drums back. Like, in, in folks just go glazed. You know, they don't. You know, you, you know yeah. what? Here's the thing.
0: It's way easier if you zoom. use uh, lighting and camera as an analogy for sound and acoustics.
2: You just put up something in front of the fucking lighter or...
0: Well, yeah, yeah. That, that's what I do with actors like when I'm explaining acoustics, like I try to relate mm. everything to mm-hmm, camera mm-hmm. and lighting because people get when it's in focus, they get when the lens is long or short, they tend to kind of get that stuff. Mm-hmm. So oh, That's like, interesting. If so, you can like yeah. re-relate to what they kind of understand okay well look, here's what it's saying. if we put a spotlight on you and then I shined a special you know spot in another color on you, you wouldn't really see the other color because the spotlight's brighter, or i don't know something like that mm-hmm. you know, or you can literally demonstrate it this is what's going on here with sound, you know, and then mm-hmm. they can kind of get it, but mm-hmm. it's that it's an analogy because mm-hmm. people are people are so visual, you know, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh wow, what an interesting challenge. That's an amazing. Having having a foldback on stage would be man, that would be just like a recipe for disaster, I would have thought. Like the only reason why I would I would imagine you need foldback on stage is if you have like
4: actors on either end of the stage and they're like playing some sort of part where they're like, I don't know, you do the the thing where the spotlight shines on one actor and they do their line because they're talking on the telephone and then it switches to the other side of the stage, but they're just talking and they're really far apart. Like maybe you need a little bit of fold back there so they can hear each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but,
3: but that's the, the real thing is, is that, you know, when you're talking about a band or, or, uh, you know, they, the, the resources that are put into that kind of system, whether you're talking about in air monitors or blah, 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 blah. You, you can, yeah, of course, you can get this, and it can sound like you're sitting in your bedroom listening on headphones and singing. But it, with a lot of, you know, especially with regional theaters and things like that, the, the the resources that they're putting to sound, even when they're doing a musical, aren't up to what we would need mm-hmm. in order to do something. So you're always in a battle of, well, look, okay, this, this is... It, the, with what we're given, this is how we have to solve this problem. But most people, like George, you're saying, I mean, most people don't—they don't have a sense of uh, understanding about what acoustics is and what sound, how sound works physically. So yeah. it, So trying most to don't. talk to them about it, it's it's always that is always like such a battle.
0: Yeah, acoustics is I mean incredible, uh, incredibly complex. Like I mean, I've got a bunch of books now, most of them I can't read. I mean, I just, I, I don't have the mathematical training, the physics training to, to, to grasp it. So I have to study everything that's very practical in nature because I, I need to grasp it. And then I taking that information and then translating it to explaining somebody who's in her stand. Well, somebody who's in her, her, her stand, standing in her closet Yeah, and why you, you, the microphone has to be where it is and why it has to be as close as it is and. And all that stuff, and that's that's what I do every day. It's it's fun. It's an interesting challenge, but it's like micro It's a micro level, and you guys are doing it on a much more macro level, with a lot more people, and it's live. Yeah, it's, but, uh, yeah. it sounds very uh, entertain. It sounds very exuberating, slash stressful. I, <laughs> I think, think that the latter. <laughs>
3: what's what's
0: well, what's cool
3: is that it is it is practical. Uh, ultimately, yes, we have a guy like Philip, who is this mysterious Philip, sick Philip. <laughs> uh, we have him and he is a technical kind of wizard and he understands he is a mathematical kind of brain yeah. and he does understand that when things are not sounding right it's because of this and this and this and this, and this. And I, no. it goes way over my head I'm like I don't know I mean is the saxophone in tune that's what I'm thinking about mm-hmm. but but really what, what we do that is kind of fun is that it is about practical you do just in the end you rely on your ears You get into a a theater and you hear the speakers, hear the sound coming back at you, and you sit in all the different seats and you say, okay, from over here, it's going to sound like this. And from over here, it's going to sound like this. And what can I do to make the experience of this audience member be similar to the experience of that audience member in another seat,
4: without reconstructing the theater.
3: Yeah, because you know you yeah. do get into. I mean, we just did a show that is a kind of a thrust thing, but it was it was a it was a theater that wasn't built as a theater, and so you have three banks of seats, but there are these walls. So depending on where the actor is even speaking, we weren't even reinforcing the actors. If you're talking one way, basically your sound is getting eaten up by this weird corner. Wall thing, and they have some stuff in there, but but really, it's about you know, okay, well, how can I figure out what it is going to take for, and whether that's staging, and it's a mixture. It's not just necessarily like let's turn this up or this speaker, this speaker, this speaker. It can also be a dialogue with the director about staging where this actor is delivering this line, and how can you. Affect the sound design by helping out with staging. I don't know, I, Daniel. Maybe. Wow, you yeah. want to talk more about that. But I, I think that's kind of a cool. There's no
0: ADR in live theater. <laughs>
3: right? Well, there, I mean, that's there right. is sometimes, basically, you know. But like in, in some spaces where you're not reinforcing the actors, there are no wireless microphones. You're just dealing with the space, the acoust- the live acoustics. Plus, you're trying to put your music or your sound in, you know, in there. And then that's always that fun thing too, where, oh, we want this whole thing to be underscored and, but we're not going to mic the actors. So, okay, well, to have this sound, you know, and I would get a note from a director saying, okay, well, I think that when I was sitting here, that that, ba- that bass frequency, that rumble is too loud. I couldn't hear the actor. And it's like, okay, well, there's the trade-off, right? You're either going to give up some of that excitement of a movie theater, or you're going to hear the line. And that's always a a balance that you have to make in live theater that isn't often talked about, I think. I don't know, Daniel.
0: Well, yeah, also bass is extremely difficult because it's so dependent on where you are in the room, unless yeah. Well, and where the subwoofers are. (laughs) Do you ever do something similar to like surround
4: sound where you say, okay, we're gonna put all the dialogue out, the center speaker, and we're gonna really focus that and anchor it to the stage. Mm -hmm. And then and then you have all the other speakers spread out, you know, in the back and whatnot. And you have to be careful of those because the people in the back are close to the mm-hmm. back speakers. Always. So when I mean, we do, like, when we those those are the do thoughts vocal
3: reinforcement, always. we do usually think of a center channel that is our vocal ring or whatever.
2: That's what we're always thinking of, um, you know, where to place the sounds, where to place the voice. And most often we have a center, it's not unlike film. You have the, the voice going through a center cluster and then, you know, we do underscoring. I often, we often don't. You know, if it's a proscenium stage with like a left, right main, you're 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 shaping the frequency spectrum in three dimensions always. I mean, that's just always. I
4: think there's really- like a role for for Atmos in this. You know how like theaters have their seven dot four dot one array, and but there might be a common array of speaker setups that are for theaters, and then Atmos. If you do your one mix, it could scale by the nature of the system to. More speakers or fewer speakers? You have these objects. I'm sure QLab would love to grab hold of an Atmos object and steer it around the, the theater, for example.
2: That that is a thing that, that exists, and also um, DB has a thing called Soundscape, which is
4: where you can move. Um, but how many of those are like scalable? So, so for example, the the nice thing about Atmos is you have a theater that has seven four one speaker array, and then you have another. Sp- Theater that has like a 92.10 speaker array. And the same mix works on both theaters because the Atmos system is doing the math, distributes it. It it figures out like for that path, for that sound to travel around the theater in this path, I'm going to use these speakers in the small setup. And in the big setup, I'm going to use those big speakers. You could totally, Uh, you could totally,
2: I mean, it's absolutely, it's time and money. And the thing about theater is there's very precious little of. Either of those things, Both. and that's yeah. one of
3: the things about doing a show where you're, you know, if you're doing a regional theater production, it's happening one time. It's happening for three six months, yeah, six whatever weeks. it is, or you know, the whole process, and and then, and then it's gone. If we were saying, okay, we're going to do a a twenty city tour of one thing, right? That's a
4: different idea. That that's going to help. That Atmos idea would help out exactly, there exactly, yeah. exactly. And
3: that's and that is. But in our small way, when we do have a show that is going to move from theater to theater, that's one of the things that Philip takes into account initially. And, and Daniel, they'll say, okay, well, you know, how can we arrange our Q Lab so that we can have a seamless kind of, we know we're going to have to tweak certain things, but we don't have to reprogram everything each mm-hmm. time because we know that we're going to design our system the same way for us, that we like to do it, like to have it.
4: You know, well, well, you mentioned that some of them are co-productions, so they they might have like two cities that collaborate on the same yeah. production, and then it's done in two places. So, do they do them on the same nights at the same time?
3: No, no, they'll be like no. different. Uh, so yeah. you do one, and then a couple months later, it would move to another. Gotcha, another city or yeah.
0: something like that. You know? Gotcha. So they're sharing the cost of the production. Exactly. They're so probably like sharing the uh, the, yeah. the the props and everything. Maybe exactly, even.
3: exactly. The set, all that stuff will move. Um, and then they can say, you know, that's, I mean, it's all like devolves into a money conversation.
0: Yeah. Well, not to get into the dumb stat stuff, but like, what's one of the longest runs like that you've set up and then built and then it stayed in production. Well,
3: I guess both of the Broadway shows were the longest for us. Yeah. But even those, both of them, they, they didn't run for,
2: you know. They were, they were, they were limited, what they call limited engagements. It had a, it had a baked in you know, expiration. Cause they had day. celebrities and yeah, so I'm like like, Uma you Thurman is not going to, you do. Know, she's not going to stay year. there for. <laughs> <Not> that that <laughs> yeah. Late, uh,
3: so, yeah, but those are, those are fun because that really does feel like you're, because those are also those Broadway shows are the ones where there's nothing in that space. It's completely empty. And we go and, you know, build at sound associates
4: build a whole system. There's nothing in there. There, there there's, no there's, no there's no speakers. There's no cables. There's no speakers.
0: There's no cables.
4: No backstage
2: nothing. paging. It's a, what they call a four wall install. So it's, wow. it's just a, Blank slate, and, and you have we, to build. there's seating
0: and there's a balcony or whatever, but but everything from the lip of the stage back is just empty space. Do you do,
4: do you at least have like like lattices to hang lights off of? And there's some infrastructure around yeah, the yeah, stage, right? Like that stuff, there's you that, add yeah.
2: pipes and you add truss, yeah. It's stripped, you know, there is a there's a bare minimum that they strip down to. And I mean, we were drilling holes. Wow. we we had to like the Schuberts are the, the one of the families that own half the Broadway <laughs> houses. and you right. know, we wanted when we did eclipsed, we wanted to put surrounds in. We wanted to you know do what we do, build a cage of sound so we can have like a mate, you know, points everywhere. And they were just like, we had to go jump through all these hoops and like to to drill holes in the wall. In the, the wall, like of speakers, you know, an old pristine uh, Broadway. Theater. Yeah, you
0: can't use Velcro. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> command strips.
2: We you use 700 use command strips a technology where you
0: bounce
4: it off the wall. You, know, you just shoot yeah. a speaker coaxially oh, at a point idea. and then bounce it off that point.
3: <laughs> it, it's, wow. it's pretty amazing. I mean, those are fun because they, you do walk into a space that's completely empty. And then you go upstate New York and you build an entire system and see every cable laying on the ground and every speaker... And you plug it all in and you make sure it all works. And then you put it all into a trucks and you drive it down there and they load it into this house. And it, it's it's awesome. We've got both of those systems that we made on Broadway were pretty amazing. And it
0: was but really, they, they take them down and then they go back to, is it called Sound Associates? Yeah, because
3: they just rent, I mean, the, the house is just rent all the
0: gear. We're yeah. renting
3: yeah. it for that production. Every production yeah. is a And is Sound new,
0: Associates, are they the sole vendor for that venue? Is that how No, it
2: works? they're... Three rental houses. There are basically three. Yeah, go ahead, Jen. Mask, Sound Associates, and PRG. PRG, you may have heard of. It's an international, yeah, yeah, sound and lighting conglomerate. They sort of took over, <coughs> bought out the. There were three, the, the local that were kind of mom and pop things, and ProMix was one of them. They bought out ProMix and Sound Associates, where Philip works, which is which is great for us. He's he's he uh, actually is on salary there, and and those guys have been in business since since there were speakers on Broadway, uh, yeah. they, you know, wow. 50, 60, however many years, Philip's boss is an amazing character, Peter Fitzgerald, who owns it, the greatest guy. And if you you know ever get a chance to walk around Midtown with him, I mean, he knows every, he's been doing that since he was a teenager and now he's 70 something and he knows every doorman, every, you, you know, you want to get a table at the blah, blah, blah. He just walks you right in and,
1: <laughs> cool. Uh,
4: it's really so fun cool. to hang
2: out with that guy.
4: What about everyone who walks in, gets a nice pair of stuff it in your ear earphones, yeah. and then the whole thing is like VR or not VR, but what, yeah, 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 like VR, you know, sound, and there's no sound. I mean, I mean, take t- take your earphones off, and you hear the actors. There, you but
3: mean no sound. Report. Disco style. Well, well, there was a show yeah. on Broadway actually last couple. of years. Well, now, gosh, I mean, I always feel like the pandemic. I always say last right. year, but then it actually means five years.
0: Twenty nineteen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um,
3: but wasn't yeah. it? And Daniel, remind me. Was it Simon, uh, Bernie? I think out? it was a British guy. I can't remember. Yeah, a British guy, and he did a show. And I know I didn't go see it, but I know Scott went saw it. And every every single audience member had headphones, and um he was just on stage doing all this stuff and it was with, you know, he had these microphones and he was doing the whole play, you know, and I guess I I don't, I don't really know all the, I mean, you have to look this up because I'm secondhand, secondhand, but I do remember Scott saying, telling me about the experience and saying that one of the coolest things for him was taking the headphones off and you're in a theater with however many thousand people or whatever it is. And it's completely silent, except you hear just all the weird noise of, just human the beings being around yeah. and you hear this guy whispering up on stage. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the people are experimenting with that. Well, stuff, did, we right?
2: did a show like I, that outdoors where we did, we did Electra outdoors. By, in, oh, that's in, right. In in Dallas. In yeah. yeah. They have their version of Lincoln center, <laughs> which they have their symphony and they have their, you know, few opera, you know, their opera house and their theater. And they right. have this, this space where they do concerts. It's really cool, concrete, like really cool architecture. Like let's do Electra out there. Well, thing is it's like by a freaking highway. So the thing we ended up doing was putting every, all the actors in mics and um, the audience would move around, but they would have an assisted, we we co-opted this assisted listening stuff. So every actor or every audience member had a pair of headphones. And so I was not only, you know, designing, mixing the actor's voice and the score through their headphones, but I also had loudspeakers, in the space, so I was messing with like, what do you from get? The headphones and we get from the speakers. From the headphones, exactly. Sure, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And oh, mixing, wow. so you're mixing those two mm-hmm. ideas.
3: Well, didn't you have what was her name? Who was the A one? She was driving around oh, on with a, a
2: on a cart. So because of the because the actors were moving, the, the mixing <laughs> console was on a you know, a little eight, you know, four-wheeler with a cart. And a Segway? Yeah, it was on a Segway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's... It, it's that's, now, I,
0: I wouldn't I see that next, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was it. one that's, of our wackiest, that's, that's from the circus. Like, it, it, that yeah, was one right. of our
2: wackiest things that nobody knows about, but it was kind of an amazing feat. That sounds
4: really cool. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, I, I think there's some practical thing, you you know,
4: uses for that alone. You're, you're doing this wonderful sound work. And I I can think of even my mom, she's starting to lose her hearing. We've gone to plays and she gets the little, like one ear thing. And you listen to that and it's like just the actors and the perspective is all gone. And it's like such a tiny sound as well. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, that's what she's getting. But, you know, in a way, kind of like if everyone had, or everyone who needed that, can have, um, you know, it's almost like yeah. bionic hearing. It's almost better that you could give them an a, even... I remember I I was at this, uh, at NAB, I was at this um, thing for DTS, where they played this whole mix over their giant version of Atmos. It was, you know, surround all over your head. And then they gave you a pair of headphones, and they played the same thing. And I remember it was so realistic that I literally took my headphones off to make sure that, sure enough, this, the theater was now silent and it was like like they just nailed it with the inner oral, binaural, um mm-hmm. kind of yeah, was so I don't know, it might be a cool thing for theaters. It is. Yeah. I mean
3: the special thing of theater that makes it worth is the same thing about live music or anything where you have a human being and you're getting the or let's even be more specific it's about live music like in classical music or something where you know there's a the, the thing that makes it so exciting is when you're in a hall and you have that human being you know with that cello playing that sound and that sound is coming from that cello to your ears
2: mm-hmm. you
3: know that is an experience that is magical i mean that's what you know we it, in a weird way it's like all of us are trying to figure out a way to make that more to, like to, to, to get that experience to all these different people, I I'm trying, I'm having a hard time articulating what I'm thinking about, but it is.
2: Yeah. That one-to-one experience as opposed to it being mediated through another. Yeah. Through headphones or through speed and
3: all of that kind of stuff. And there is something about the difference. Like when you are in a theater and you have people, human beings in your, in the same room as you that are creating sound and, and giving it to you is something that I don't want to lose. And in a way it's like, I feel like some of these things like, like Simon or whatever that guy's name was, his, his headphone thing. It's a cool idea conceptually. It's really cool. But are we, are we losing this idea of what it is to be a human being and have our ears hear something out of another human being?
1: It's
4: definitely far from the whole like Greek amphitheater thing. It's, it's the complete, you know, you know, one is, you know, you're just acoustically doing it with completely organic. Then you add in sound reinforcement and other sounds that aren't, you know, necessarily created. I mean, ultimately the old wind machine down in the basement, you know, like that's been replaced for example. And there's, there's something even kind of cool about the, the wrong sound being almost right enough because it's someone playing it. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Right, yeah. But like someone's making it at that point.
1: Yeah. But the other thing about headphones is that you don't have the audience participation. You're not sort of involved en masse with an audience, I, I, I'm guessing. So Yeah, you would lose I think that. that's a good
0: point. Well, oh, you'd have to mic the audience.
4: Ooh. Yeah, that's cool. Right. Cool, Would you, if all the audience was wearing headphones, would you feed some of the audience into the headphones so that there's for some sure. sense of yeah, live room?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Talking of audience, now this is um, something I was going to ask before. When you're setting up, um, and I don't know whether you're involved in this bit, but when you're setting up for a play, do you set up with an empty room or because you've got to take into consideration that when there's a full audience, the whole sound will change?
3: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a big... Thing. We don't often you do tech rehearsals, and the in the, the the theater is you know it just has the people that are making the, the show in it. Twenty um, people versus yeah. five hundred, right? And we do yeah. take that into account. I mean, there's there are, a
4: lot of acoustic absorption there, yeah. yeah and exactly. and you
3: kind of have to take your best guess and get through the first couple of previews before you you know. So you'd often have conversations with directors where they'll say something like, "Oh, that underscore is too loud." And you say, "Okay, well, let's let's take that note after the first preview, because you're going to (laughs) have because (laughs) if I turn it down right now, you're not going to hear it.
4: You're not going (laughs) to hear it when there's an audience here. So I wonder I wonder what size like 703 you need just to like kind of put like some sort of wedge in every mm. seat and just like approximate it and i'll put 500
0: acoustical baffles in the (laughs) damn floor (laughs) i mean what if you just had a
4: really 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 heavy blanket and you just covered all the seats with a gigantic heavy blanket it might get you there
2: we sort of have a feel for it after a while yeah yeah.
1: so what frequencies would disappear when when you have a full audience is it the bottom end or is it more of of the high the higher ends the
2: the the lower the frequency. The low end always has energy. When they sneak around, and, it's a bigger, it's a longer yeah. sound wave. So it's wavelength. Yeah.
1: So do you, when you do the mix, do you actually mix in more top end to compensate for the fact that you don't have an audience there when you're setting up?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I guess, I guess we do. It, like, I don't think it's something that we, That's I don't think Phil's it's something. job, right? Well, no, no. because, because when we're <sighs> make, he's not there at that point. But it is something that you do, I think, in, you know, I, I've had that experience of sitting in my apartment with my m- Mackies and mixing something and then going to the theater and putting it in and being like, okay, well, this doesn't sound anything like what I just had. <laughs> so we got, let's, let's yeah, yeah. restart. And you do often have to think about it where, so I, I do think that my ear is telling me to do certain things, even if I'm not, I don't have a checklist like, oh, let me make sure that, you know, 7,000 Hertz is going Blah blah blah, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't I don't EQ that way necessarily. I don't know, Daniel, if you feel more specific about that, but I feel like we compensate but it's it we're compensating because of our experience in right, more intuitively
2: yeah. than it's
4: more math- intuitive you know you know what's going to happen and so you're kind of like because you probably even have an idea of like what it sound like after you do this enough you have an idea of what it sounded like before the th- audience was in there and after yeah, and, yeah. so you're and like again that's you know, that's kind one
2: of, of the reasons why we do track everything so if we have a you know we you know the way that we we design is like we like to talk about it um like like ikea furniture we have a bunch of Things that can go together in a bunch of different ways, and everything we have separate control over everything. So
1: if certainly a high, if, when I'm if putting IKEA ends, furniture together, it goes together in different ways. <laughs> that's for sure.
2: <laughs> Are you? you know, um, maybe my need to re- Maybe we should think our uh, analogy through a little bit better. But, uh, metaphor, but um, but if we have it it's super easy to be like, oh, we're losing the high. Uh, you know, let's just turn the violin up. You know, we're 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 mixing. You know, because you get in there, you get a pass at the show after you know you get the show in after a week and then the audience comes and then you do another pass. Then you're you're we're tweaking for the next five days. Because
3: usually you have preview things. So you don't have to you don't walk away I mean at the minimum at some of these uh regional theaters you have like six. you know three, four, five, six previews. On Broadway you have twenty five previews.
4: And oh, you're wow. talking about previews yeah. until you turn it over to them. Until you leave. Yeah, until you leave,
3: basically until when it's I technically see. open. And I mean, really that what that means, it's, it has nothing to do with, the. it's all about reviews. So technically a reviewer isn't allowed to publish a review of the show until, oh, at, until it's locked for the press. So that's how that all comes about. But then it, it just depends on where you are regionally or in, in the country, how many previews a theatre will give you with an audience before it says it's locked.
1: Here's a question for you. With uh, When you're composing for uh, a production, if it's something like Shakespeare, do you find there's an expectation because people are aware of Shakespeare that puts extra pressure on you to um, with, with the music you're writing for it?
3: Well, I, I, I mean, I, I think I've written some of my best music for Shakespeare because I think the directors that we've had when we've done these big Shakespeare productions, like mainly the ones I think the, the biggest ones that we've done are, in, we're in DC. Wouldn't you say, Daniel?
2: Yeah. yeah Macbeth. And, that,
3: and uh... yeah, that Shakespeare, the Shakespeare theater in DC is a very, is a big theater. It's a great space, has a great system and they have a lot of resources and a couple shows that we've done there. The music, like I've been allowed, I think to push in a way um, a little bit more because the directors at in those spaces were like, yeah, it's Shakespeare, everybody, but let's push it. Let's, you know, you can do oh, more. I think yeah. in a way it's like yeah. with, with, with new plays, it's always this battle of people saying, oh, well, we don't want the audience, we don't want the music to tell the audience how to feel and we don't want to, you know, we want to make sure blah, 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 blah. So you actually get harnessed a little bit more. Can be more oh, operatic. Interesting. It's the exact in opposite yeah. of what I would think. But yeah, that's major, interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, but Shakespeare, it, Daniel's right, it is that word operatic because because when you're doing Shakespeare in a huge you know, it 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 can it can hold it, can hold
2: it more because it's more substantial. you know it's yeah, good writing. Yeah. You know, than somewhat argument. Than like, yeah. So yeah.
3: you know, it's it is fun. I mean, there are now I've I, you know I've had fun writing music for other plays and weird little things too. It can be really
0: rewarding, dude. Okay. This was freaking cool, and we will definitely sometime get Philip to to really go down the yeah the but technical you can, rat hole with uh, with Robert. Well, he's a. Yeah. We're just gonna give them a room. Now you should. And we're just gonna go. <laughs> Philip would. <laughs> yeah. It's
3: a it's a it's a thing. It's
0: a dark place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that was fun. Is it over?
1: The Pro Audio Suite. With thanks to TriMove and Austrian Audio. Recorded using Source Connect. Edited by Andrew Peters and mixed by Voodoo Radio Imaging. With tech support from George the Tech Wittam. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and join in the conversation on our Facebook group. To leave a comment, suggest a topic, or just say good day. Drop us a note at our website. The ProAudiosuite.com <laughs>